Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of After the Crisis with Victoria. I'm your host, Victoria English Martin. And for those of you who don't know, I have been lucky enough to contribute to a wonderful anthology that is coming out on September 1st. It is called The Addiction Diaries, and it's a compilation of several authors. We are sharing our stories of darkness, hope, and recovery. We talk about what things were like and what we are doing now, how we are helping others. And I decided to interview some of my co-authors. And today I have Paul Rue with me all the way from South Africa. He is a writer, a life coach, a financial advisor, and recovery advocate. He believes everyone has unique gifts that they can use to find meaning and bring joy and freedom to their lives. In his coaching practice, Paul works with courageous individuals who are ready to embrace their superpowers, becoming financially empowered, and learn to play for their dreams. Thanks for being here, Paul. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a privilege to be on your show, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This has been such an exciting experience for all of us to get to know one another from all over the world. You know, we have, uh, it's, I've, I've really enjoyed being a part of the Addiction Diaries team and hearing everyone's stories. So since you mentioned superpowers in your bio, tell me a little bit about what your superpowers are. Well, gee, that's a good question. Thank you so much. I'm <laughs> learning a lot about my superpowers now coming certainly into recovery. Yes. Being in recovery for a number of years, one thing that I've picked up is empathy. You know, I really empathize with people mm. who are going through some dark times and challenging times, and especially now with COVID, which has been such an unprecedented time for everybody. We're faced with something that's beyond our control, and we're trying to manage and deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I empathize with that because I know exactly we all will be empathizing with this going forward, certainly in the years to come. But when it comes to people in addiction, one of the big passions that I have and the driving forces is, is I really want to help people play for their dreams because I find for me, and I can speak for myself, when I came into recovery, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. My life was shattered and I needed to pick up the pieces and put them back together. And I didn't know how to do that. And I had a, a great support of a wonderful sponsor who helped me through a lot and through a lot of work and, and dedication and courage, I was able to start picking up those pieces. Mm. And what I realized also was people were really unsettled when it comes to their financial position and what questions to ask. Maybe they were afraid of asking questions like, how do I get started? And what is this thing called an emergency fund? And, and what's a mutual fund? And am I best suited for this and for that? So as a financial advisor, I've learned a lot of skills along the way with regards to that. And I really want to help people in that sphere. So bringing empathy and wanting to be courageous 
in my pursuit of helping people mm-hmm. play for their dreams is important to me. That's a wonderful combination because oftentimes, you know, at least in my experience, I found that people who have the mind for numbers and things like that, they can sometimes be too much in that part of their brain. And you don't often come across people who have the compassion and empathy that you've learned through your journeys. Can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up and number one, what led you to going into the field of financial advising and where did you get tripped up with these substances? What was that like? So I grew up in Johannesburg in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a home. It was a safe place. My parents are still married today. You know, on the surface, you could say that there was no reason why Paul would start using drugs or any other substance. Mm-hmm. I went to good schools. I was very fortunate and in a very privileged position. But somewhere growing up as a kid, I always felt different. And in the rooms that's been mentioned a lot where people have mentioned that too. But for me, I always felt like I was outside looking in, that everyone was inside and I was the one person outside peering through the window thinking, well, I'm missing out. There's something uh, happening. I don't understand. I'm, I'm not kind of connecting with people as much as I would like to. Mm-hmm. And this sort of followed me around for a very long time. And I went to a boarding school in Pretoria, which is about 25 minutes mm-hmm. or so from Johannesburg. And that's where I was now, I guess, rebelling a bit, as one does in high school. That's what kids do. And But I found yes. alcohol and I thought, okay, this stuff seems to change things because when I drank, it seemed to change the way I behaved and it kind of worked for me. And all of a sudden I felt connected Mm. and I was, I talk about this in the book, my part in the book too, Mm -hmm. but I felt very much started to feel that connection and I craved that connection and I wanted more of that. Mm -hmm. So my journey with alcohol started very, I would say, casually and there was nothing sinister going on. It was just like what everyone else was doing. I didn't start off going crazy and drinking copious amounts from the start. It was a mm-hmm. it was a slow progression for me. But what I found was the more I started drinking, the more I realized I couldn't stop. And that was a big thing for me. When I got through university and after university, I managed to survive a few car accidents along as well. And still thinking, well, everyone has car accidents, right? I mean, it's normal to be bribing police officers at one o'clock in the morning, isn't it? Mm. So that I would justify and rationalize and my justifications became more bolder as I grew up and grew older. So after university, I realized I wanted to continue partying. So the, the, the allure, the temptation of wanting to get back into the party sphere was always there for me. And I, and I lived for the weekends. And that's what I continued to do through my 20s. Mm-hmm. And it was a big party for me. I had no inclination or desire to want to go purchase a property or aspire towards a, a career in whatever. I was focused on where do I get my next drink? How much do, money do I have? Mm-hmm. Do I need more? Mm-hmm. And is it enough? Mm. 
And that was for me. And, and I slowly started pushing people away because they were not complying to my sort of standard. They weren't doing what I felt they needed to do as friends. They weren't supportive enough in what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was was go out and party and have a mm-hmm. good time. Mm-hmm. And what's wrong with calling you up at Wednesday night on a work night to go out to the club? What's wrong with that? <laughs> what, is that crossing a boundary? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think what you said in the beginning is so relatable to so many people, whether they self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or whatever their thing is. They feel on the outside. They feel a lack of connection to others. And as soon as they do their thing, and again, sometimes for women, it's, you know, dieting and achieving that perfect weight or injections so that they look a certain way so that they feel like they can connect with people because they look pretty um, and they don't have to be vulnerable and show themselves you know, but again, alcohol is a big one. And I hear that story over and over that they feel like they're on the outside and they're looking for connection. Is that something that, because I relate to what you're saying, was it apparent on the outside that you felt disconnected from others or were you able to put on a front as a young man, you know, pretend to be part of the crowd, to pretend to fit in, but you really didn't feel like you fit in until you took those drinks as a young person? Yeah, I would definitely feel like I was putting on these masks, these social masks to try and fit in Mm -hmm. behind closed doors and by myself. I wouldn't feel very confident. I would always be doubting myself. I had a big, strong inner critic voice Mm. and that came through a lot. But when I was out and about, I was trying to please people. I have a lot of uh, now in my recovery and through going through codependency anonymous, a lot of other things have come in, mm. have come to my attention around my desire to want to please other people, my dependence on other people. If they're okay, I'm okay. And that played a lot. Yes. Yeah, that was huge. If the people around me are comfortable, then I'm comfortable. And the moment people mm-hmm. around me were not getting, were not comfortable or agitated or angry or something, then I felt agitated or angry. I would almost feel... I'm a very highly sensitive person. So I pick up on body language yes. and all these cues and, and the subtleties and people are, what people are not saying. I'm getting that information. So I'm picking up all on that and I'm now trying to react to that information on a constant basis. So it was for me, it was always this trying to fit in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And seeing where I, and I would almost try to be somewhere. To some people, I would be some one person and to another set of people I would try yes. and be like that how they want to be to to, yes. to fit in. Yes. Yeah. So what I what I hear you saying is that on the outside you appeared to fit in, mm. but you were changing, you were like a chameleon sort of changing to adapt to whichever situation you found yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. I heard once in summer camp as a high schooler, but it's always stuck with me. The camp counselor said there's two types of people. There are the thermostats and there are the thermometers. And which are you? And I've always thought about that because I relate to what you're saying about being able to pick up on people's energy and body language. And I think a lot of us in recovery are like that. I've heard it described as being 
born with our skin turned inside out. We like all our nerves mm. are there and we pick up on everything. And that's sometimes too hard to take. But the thermostat thermometer always stuck with me because, you know, there were some people who sort of set the tone, they set the temperature. And then there are the other people who adjust, right? They, they kind of take the temperature of the room and they adjust to whatever is going on. So what I hear you saying is you were kind of like the thermometer. Yes. You would measure what was going on in that situation and adjust accordingly, either, you know, put on a tank top and flip flops or a sweater, depending on what the energy in the room was, right? right exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it was it, exhausting. It, it was exhausting, Victoria. Yes. you constantly you're tired you get home and you're so tired and you think well i haven't done much but this mental energy that it mm -hmm. takes for you to constantly be trying to adapt and change and read people yes. and yeah it's exhausting it is exhausting and when you're continuing down that path of medicating yourself you know abusing whatever substance or habit whatever it is Somewhere inside, we know that we're not living our authentic lives. You know, we're not being our true selves. And so it, it is exhausting, you know. And, and then um, so you talked a little bit about your youth growing up feeling like an outsider, but not looking like an outsider. You were a chameleon. You were able to adapt and change to fit in whichever situation was presented. Then you went to boarding school. Then you graduated. And by that point, you were very much in the party mode mindset. Yeah. So you talked about seeking connection and that alcohol brought that to you. But what I hear you saying is later down the road after you graduated and you were judging your friends because they weren't supportive enough of your party actions and wanting to be rung at, at eight o'clock on a Wednesday on a, on a work night and, and go out clubbing. So it sounds like as your drinking progressed, you found the opposite of connection. You began to disconnect. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, you know, this is where things started to get a lot darker for me, you know, and what I thought was my solution to my problems really became something that was making things worse. And mm. the disconnection, yes, so the isolation and wanting to now drink because then feeling the shame around why don't people want to hang out with me? Uh, am I not this? Am I not that? And feeling shame, bringing shame upon myself, wanting to more isolate more, going to bars by myself, getting mm -hmm. drunk. And, and towards the end of my drinking career and active, I, was, I would be blacking out, going to places. Having, remember having a couple and then mm -hmm. blacking out by myself, mm -hmm. waking up, the next day, not knowing how I got home or mm. what happened. And so feeling now feeling completely disconnected from my consciousness as well. Yes. And yes. not knowing what I was doing. So it became not just disconnected from the people around me, but disconnected from myself in a lot of ways. What I was doing, I don't know what I was doing because I had no right. Right. I remember feeling almost like I had been betrayed by a good friend because alcohol was supposed to be my friend. You know, she was supposed to make things easier. She was supposed to take away my stress. She was supposed to take away the racing thoughts and the, the rumination and everything else and help me connect with people. And it sounds like we had similar experiences where in the end, that friend overstayed their welcome 
and turned us into isolated, ashamed people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I could summarize active addiction in one word, for me, it would be pain. Yes. That explains mm-hmm. it all for me because that's what it was like. And yes. It, yeah. You know, this is just a teaser for the listeners because the book comes out on September 1st, but I have obviously read all of the essays and and I loved your essay, your vulnerability and uh, the light that you provide for others, the hope that you provide. And just briefly, without giving away too much, tell me a little bit about when it happened. I know that it's always gradual for us. You know, we have those red flags and everything, but what was it that finally got you into recovery and moving forward with your life? Yeah. So I won't give too much away because I talk about my sort of early part of my recovery in the book. Mm -hmm. But what brought me to my knees, essentially, I remember I was living overseas. I'd moved to Canada and lived in Toronto for a few years. And uh, I'd come back to South Africa. By then, this was 2009 and felt very isolated, very alone, very, very much in self-pity, feeling very sorry for myself, but feeling all that pain, that not just physical pain from the hangovers, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. throwing up in the throat sore and all the rest, yes. but the emotional and mental agony. And I was smoking a lot of marijuana as well. And I would go between the two and been alcohol and smoking pot. Mm-hmm. So it, it just got so bad to the point where I felt so hopeless. And I'd been retrenched from my job. I was living at home with my parents. I was lying behind their backs. I was mm. saying I was going to fill up the car for the third time that day. Meanwhile, I was actually going to buy more drugs and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I felt shame and guilt around that. There was nothing going for me. And my parents, they saw it. The writing was on the wall. They, it was very obvious to them. And they suggested that I go to a treatment facility, a rehab. Um, and now I'd never been to rehab. I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, look, well, the minimum stay is six months. I'm, sa- I'm sorry, what? What was that? <laughs> six, yes. You're crazy. Six months. That's not mm-hmm. no way. But I did come around and my essay in the book focuses a lot of the time what I spent there and you can read about it more in in the book. That's essentially what brought me to my knees is that despair and hopelessness. Eventually that caught up with me and there was nothing that I could do that could shake it off. And I needed help. Yes. I needed to, so I needed to go to a place. And that's so brave. It doesn't feel brave at the time. I'm sure it must feel humiliating and shameful, but but it actually is, uh, I think, one of the most courageous things we can do is to save our own lives and realize at times that we can't do that on our own. And it sounds like you talk about that in your essay. And that essay is going to help a lot of people because I'm sure what you've said in this podcast is going to resonate with many people, you know, seeking attachment, finding attachment, false attachment, being a chameleon, and then losing all of that and being left with just yourself, your shame, and your substances. So I look forward to your essay being shared with thousands, probably millions of people Ah, vulnerability yeah. <laughs> hangover. <laughs> I know I'm going to have a big one of those on September 2nd after the book comes out. Oh, what did I just do? Um, so, 
I think it's incredibly brave that you not only, like I said, surrender to it, but are now sharing that story of recovery and hope and what it was like for you. Tell me what you do today to to serve others. I know that you're in financial advising and you're a recovery advocate. What does that look like in your life? Yeah. So I've been working as a financial advisor for a number of years here in South Africa. But my real passion, you know, the greatest joy I find is in carrying the message. The greatest joy that I've found in recovery is I've found a relationship with God. And my sponsor showed me in the early stages, said, Paul, but it's a personal thing. You know, it's got nothing to do with anybody else. And that really worked for me because I thought I was supposed to have the same relationship with God as the priest does or that my mother does or the personal Mm -hmm. does. I have to have that same relationship. And if I don't have the same, I'm not getting it right. It's not, you know, it has to be this, it has to be that. And it's got nothing to do with anybody else. But I found there's so much joy to be had in having knowing that I don't have to rely on Paul anymore, so to speak, that I can hand over my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him to be. And there's so much freedom in that. And it's such a relief. Isn't it such a relief? relief. Yes. I don't need to save the world. I don't need to figure it all out today. I just have to ask for willingness to do the next right thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If I don't have the willingness, I can pray for the willingness. Yes. Freedom to pray for that. So that's really helped me. And what I find carrying the message and sharing, which I feel is God's story at play, working Mm -hmm. through us and being able to carry that message of hope, light, fulfillment, and freedom. And to see the light in someone's eyes You know, when they start to get it, when they start to realize, oh my gosh, this recovery thing is actually real and these 12 steps actually do work if you actually apply them and the light comes on and they're getting excited and you you see this renewed spirit and I'm thinking, okay, I want to be part of that. Like I want to be witnessing a lot more of that. And yeah, so now I'm looking and I'm going to be starting my own coaching practice And I'm going to incorporate the financial advisory and I want to help people play for their dreams. I want to get people excited about their futures. And I also want to get people excited about their finances, feel that they feel financially empowered, that they can go out and they can ask the right questions, that they feel comfortable with holding a conversation with a financial advisor or someone at the bank around mutual Mm. funds or where they would like to invest and feel confident knowing that, okay, you know what? I don't have it all together, but I'm willing to make it work and let's do this thing. So, and I want to help people along that journey and hold space for them and their dreams. Yeah. And I can see your eyes light up when you talk about it. And isn't that exciting to just know that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing? And I think that is a brilliant niche because, you know, my niche, I'm about to be certified as a coach through this naked mind. And my niche is helping people who can identify when they started using alcohol in a maladaptive manner. For me, it was around the death of my mother when I was 29. I was a normal drinker up until then. Her death was extremely traumatic. I, as you know, in the essay, that's when it all sort of started for me that I went from just a little wine with dinner to I can't tolerate these feelings and 
is alcohol makes it go away. So that's kind of my niche, but I've never thought about a niche like yours. And you are really using your gifts and your freedom that you have found through your own struggles to help people. Because I know, thankfully, I my financial life is not in a wreck, but so many people's lives are, are financial lives are a wreck after going through addiction and getting into recovery. And it's one of those things that you, you know, you need to address, but you don't even know where to start. It seems right. so huge. Yeah. And if you're not in that world, how do you even know what questions to ask? I think you're going to help so many people with that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. No, yes. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, get people and just really, cause it's, it's about empowering them so that they can yes. empower their families so that they can right. hire their friends to be like, hey, wow, you know, I've noticed a big change and things are happening. And, and that's what it's about. You know, we're able to empower others so that they can go out and empower the rest of the world. Exactly. And, it's not giving them the answers. It's giving them the tools to find their answers. Yes, because they have the mm-hmm. answers within themselves. Yes. They, yes. they need to, they just need a map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Do you work with people in the States as well? No, uh, my coaching program is based in the States. So I've been practicing coaching with a lot of people in the United States. So that's been very interesting and very and very good. And it's giving me a lot of experience. The company is called Coachville and they're, they're it's all online based. And okay. so it's, they've been really great. I really oh, enjoy their approach and they are all about the spirit of play. And bringing in yes. the spirit of play into life. You know, you want to explore and experiment and try out new things. And kids are not afraid to play. They're not afraid to ask mm-hmm. people, hey, would you like to come play with me? If they don't feel like, oh my gosh, well, Johnny didn't said no. And I feel rejected and I feel a lot of shame. They're not interested. They want to have fun. And so I think a lot of what I've learned in this coaching thing is there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. And uh-huh. And that's important too. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously people will be able to find you in the book, but right now, do you have some social media handles or websites where people can follow you? Because I know that people will want to know what you're up to. Yes. So my Instagram handle is Master P. Rue. That's Mm -hmm. my Instagram handle. And you can find me on my website, paulruecoaching.com. So just a little so insight from me, I am going to be moving to Canada at the end of the year. And okay. I'm going to probably look at settling in British Columbia. So I'll be closer to your neck of the woods. Oh, and, nice. And I've got family on Victoria Island. And I'm really excited. I want to go see what's happening there. But I'm definitely going to be moving across to North America. And okay. I'm excited about this, this whole journey. And I think this is whole yes. with the book and the launch in September with Recovery mm-hmm. Month in the United States yes. and me wanting to move as well. It seems to all coincide. And I think God has got a plan in all of this. So yeah, it's uh, funny how that happens, to... isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's great. Well, this has been a really great interview. I love your perspective. I love your vulnerability, like I said, and your essay is going to help so many people and hopefully give them the courage to take that first step of knowing that they don't have to do this alone and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that light is so much brighter than anything we can imagine (laughs) when we're in the depths of it. Yes. Yes. 
Well, thank you for being here. And I know we'll be in touch a lot because of this exciting journey that we're on together. But everybody who's listening, I will have all of Paul's info in my show notes in the links on the episode. So I look forward to speaking to you again soon, Paul. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Victoria. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community, After the Crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.